0: Hello and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening.
1: Hello and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. What are the benefits of higher interest rates? Interest rates have dominated the headlines over the last year, and today we cover some of the positives during this higher interest rate environment. We cover benefits not only for cash in your bank account, but in your retirement income as well. Every situation is different and these are general tips, but if you have questions about your specific situation, please reach out either by phone or email. My name is Garrett Smith and we look forward to having you with us today.
2: Well, welcome back. Here we go again. Good to be back. More exciting subjects. (laughs) Today
1: we're talking about the benefits of higher rates. We've been through a few years of Raising rates, which has its downsides. If you're refinancing, it changes market valuations, and there's been a lot of negative in the news on it. But, you know,
2: it's kind of nice to actually be earning some income on your savings. Well, it's been a long <laughs> time. It's been a long time since we've had any interest income. I mean, it's probably been close to 20 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Over for 15. For significant yeah, yeah. cash savings. Yeah. Well, and one thing too that we're still seeing is a lot of banks and credit unions still aren't paying anywhere near market rates on checking and savings, right? Particularly savings.
2: Well, if the money stays there and they can pay 1%, why would they want to pay two, let alone five? So as long as the money stays, they're going to pay as little as possible to keep the funds there until they need deposits, which they still don't need, apparently.
1: No, they don't need deposits. According to all the numbers we're seeing, plenty of cash on hand and they're not doing much lending. So it's not having adverse effects on their cash balance. Right. You know, lending requirements have gone up quite a bit. And so money isn't going out the door nearly as fast as it's coming in. And yeah, it's probably been our most common conversation with people over the last 12, 18 months has been, I got a little extra cash. What do I do? And for a long time, You couldn't really earn it in CDs. You couldn't really earn it in bonds. And so it flowed to equities. And that's where I think we saw really, really high valuations for a window there coming out of COVID. Equities were the only game in town. And so a lot of dollars chased into those. But the environment's changing about what to do with that extra dollar that comes in.
2: Yeah, that was kind of an interesting time period. I mean, everybody ought to have an emergency fund, a certain amount of cash set aside, right? But most of our clients have a tendency to kind of accumulate a little bit more than they actually need for an emergency fund. And so the question became, what should I do? So let's say your emergency fund you think should have, I don't know, $30,000 in it and you get it up to 50000 Well, there's 20000 there that's earning basically zero because you don't need that big of an emergency fund. And so you could tie it up in a bond and get 1%, but that doesn't really move the needle And so for a while there, you look at McDonald's stock and say, well, guy, McDonald's is paying a 3% dividend. So if you can get 3% in McDonald's, you kind of assume they're not going to go broke. You earn something. And then over time, you're probably going to get some appreciation. So yeah, I think there was probably an overexposure into equities for a period of time. But the rising interest rates have kind of recalibrated that math now.
1: Yeah. One thing higher cash rates do is it gives you a couple of things. One, you get paid to wait, which is nice. There's not as much hurry to put it in. Now, inflation is high, and so that's definitely the trade-off. But you actually get a return just waiting on cash for a little while, which is very helpful. And two, it raises the hurdle rate of a good investment. Mm -hmm. If a company has to borrow money at 1%, there's a lot of projects it can fund to beat a 1% return hurdle. But if a company needs to borrow at five, seven, 10, 12%, well, there's not as many projects that can return just the rate to pay back the loan they have to take. Right. So it changes the investment side of things, but it also changes just the, hey, you know, we can wait here a little bit and just let this cash maybe sit here, get us our three, four, 5% right now, and then look around for opportunities, which is a really good thing. The worst decisions always seem to come When they're made under duress or in a hurry, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when you're trying to push something through. And I sure would be nice to allow those decisions to just kind of slow down a little bit, which they are now that you can get a little bit of interest on your cash. And the other side of it, I think, is going to catch a few people by surprise if you're earning a little bit extra on your cash and you're checking savings and other places you have it. Well, there's going to be a tax bill that comes due.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: We've caught that on a few clients that we've looked over, if you're hanging on to cash, well, it's extra income that's coming in that might bump you up a bracket that you weren't expecting. And that has different implications from everything from what taxes you pay all the way through healthcare.
2: Sure. There's a lot of impact on extra interest. You know, if you have a hundred thousand dollars in a savings account and you've been earning 0.1%, well, (laughs) that was a hundred dollars a year on a hundred (laughs) thousand. We can all feel like that, but now you can probably get $4,000, 4000 maybe 5000 on that. And the tax on that's an extra 1000 1500 And that's if it doesn't bump your bracket. So yeah, we have to be a little more careful on the tax side of things. But it has also made looking at municipal bond investment, tax-free investments mm-hmm. a little bit more attractive also. The rates on those have also come up. And so if you're in a position where you want, kind of keep the money relatively safe. You can buy bonds from state and local governments, and they're exempt from federal income tax. So those have become much more attractive again.
1: Yeah, and that's always the question now is, is what do you do with the extra dollar? What do you do with cash on hand? And the answer is always changing. What worked six months ago or a year ago or two years ago is a different answer today. And it'll be a different answer again in six months and a year. Anytime you have extra cash, extra savings, just working through what are the options where can we go? Is it worth tying it up into a CD for a longer period of time? Moving into some bonds, municipal bonds is a great opportunity, or all the way into the market. And just being able to step through each of those options where the first bucket of, hey, we can actually make some money just keeping it in cash is really helpful over a long-term plan because you're just not in a hurry.
2: What's interesting about investing decisions, though, I was just thinking... Everything's always changing because things change. But some of the constants are a couple questions when you talk about investing. And for us, it always comes down to time horizon and risk tolerance. Those questions don't change. The solutions to those questions, they change all the time. But whenever somebody comes in and says, I have extra money, it's always those two questions. Well, how long can you invest it for? And what kind of risk do you want to take? And that can be anywhere from, very short term, I want to invest for three months to, you know, I don't need it for five, 10 years to, I want to keep it completely safe. And no, I would like to be a little bit more aggressive. And there's something there for every risk tolerance and time horizon. It's just the options inside there change a little bit over time.
1: Yeah. I think a great example of that is You know, we have clients that are looking to pay for a specific goal, down payment on a house, buy a car, pay for a kid's college, and maybe they've got there financially. They've saved the money to, hey, this is the number I need to accomplish whatever this goal is, you know, $10,000 for a car, whatever it is. But historically, that's maybe been in the equity side because they've been saving over five to 10 years to accomplish Mm -hmm. that goal. Well, this opens up the door to say, we don't need to continue to take that risk. And we can still put it in a historically a lower risk type investment, cash, bonds, CDs, a lot of options there, and kind of lock in that win while still getting a reasonable return on it. So I think that risk tolerance tied to what's the use of this money, that question, like you said, never changes. And the solutions will always be tweaked and adjusted. but as you get there and you say, hey, we've accomplished this goal, you can kind of start to bank some of those wins a little bit more right now, which is helpful in a plan. It potentially has the effect of just reducing the overall volatility of those goals. Cash is great to see and rates will continue to change. I think that's the one constant is (laughs) change. Yeah, (laughs) right.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: But it has another impact too. This is particularly for clients who are retired, but withdrawal rates change. When you have a little bit higher return on your cash and short-term type investments because it allows you to shift more. We often talk about the three-bucket approach, your long-term bucket really geared towards inflation and long-term protection, your middle bucket, which is, hey, this is income we're going to use in the next few years, and then that very shortest-term bucket of this is cash we're using today. And as rates come up, you can start shifting a little bit more into that middle-term bucket because you can get a reasonable rate of return. Right. It's not in all cases and all situations, but it definitely opens up that as a solution from a rate perspective, which once again has the overall effect of maybe reducing the volatility of the portfolio. The numbers might not swing as much. They may or may not, but historically, it has the effect of reducing the swings of the portfolio, which kind of helps, which then has the benefit of, hey, we can stick to this plan because my number's not moving around as much as it has in the past.
2: Yeah, the middle bucket, it's kind of the intermediate term money. When the interest rate on that goes from a year or two ago, it was 2%. We were lucky to get 2% there, and now it's more 4 to 5 And so it's definitely a more attractive yield. And so there's been, in our mind, the philosophy is we want to have a good glide path so that the money lasts as long as it needs to with the lowest amount of risk possible. In other words, every investment has its pros and cons, and mixing them together helps reduce volatility and we just want to make sure that the money lasts as long as it's supposed to with as little fluctuation as we can. And generally speaking, that's going to be a reduction in the long-term bucket towards the middle bucket right now, because you can earn quite a bit better than we did for the last 15 years, for sure.
1: Yeah. There's an interesting research report put out by Morningstar on withdrawal rates. There's a number of ways to do them. How you calculate how much you should take out of the portfolio it's one of the more complex questions in retirement it's i think a really fascinating question is one reason why i like the distribution side because it deals with a lot more unknowns and there's a lot of ways to kind of calculate and look at withdrawal rates of maybe we just take a fixed percentage and we never adjust it never change it we take out three percent of the portfolio forever And how often does that work out? Or maybe you look at other ones and just say, we're only going to take out the required minimum distributions. And how often does that work out historically? And there's all these different cases and different ways of looking at them. And we kind of come in a blended format towards the end of them, what we call kind of the actual spending. And this is where we see most clients end up is usually your spending in retirement doesn't go up as fast as inflation goes up. Your spending does increase, particularly in the early years, but over time, that has a tendency to reduce relative to inflation. And really over a 25, 30-year retirement, inflation is the big, you know, that's just the eroder of capital. That's kind of the one you're always trying to overcome is just maintaining that purchasing power over time.
2: Yeah, all of our retirement calibrations are with an annual inflation adjustment. I mean, that's how we do the math. Because intellectually, that makes the most sense is if inflation is going to run two and a half, three percent over time, you've got to take out two and a half, three 3% more to have the same standard of living. But in practice, that's not really what happens. Somebody will retire and will say, well, what do you have to have for your monthly budget? And let's just say they say, well, I need 5,000 a month all in, social security and everything. If I have 5,000, I'm pretty good. And then what happens is you set that up and then Three years later, they come back and say, it's feeling a little bit tight. Can we bump that a little bit? And obviously, we've kind of built the portfolio. So yes, we can do that. But a lot of times people, they just get used to a certain income level. And I think the other switch is that when they're in the accumulation phase, when you're saving and investing, you don't worry as much about account balances and stuff like that. But I've noticed that when people cut off the income spigot and start the distribution, There's a psychological change there that people get really nervous about. it. When you're in the accumulation phase, a 20% pullback in the stock market can be argued as a good thing. It just gives you an opportunity to buy more shares at a lower price. But it's definitely not the same effect when you're in the distribution phase because there's no new money going in. In fact, money's coming out and so people are a little slower to take the raise they'll take the raise when their employer's paying it out gladly but when it's coming out of their account they're a little more stingy with themselves i guess i should say
1: yeah and i think a lot of people who are savers naturally react and adjust to a down market when you have a down year there's less calls generally what we've seen kind of mm-hmm. practice of less pulls you take what you're planning on taking but there's not as often to have the extra money come out right and i think those who are savers always tend to be savers the psychology changes that okay this is the pile that we got to live off of but the habits don't really change you're always thinking ahead setting a little aside i don't know if we've ever seen really drastic change of habits no. moving through retirement <laughs> does not happen. And so just those habits naturally kind of lead to a reduction in spending over time because particularly as you get into your 70s and 80s, you don't go nearly as much. You don't do nearly as much. And that leads to a reduction in spending as well. And so looking at that kind of the actual spending path through this research report, when you have higher rates, generally leads to higher distributions because it's More conservative in nature, meaning you're not always trying to take the maximum dollar every year. Mm -hmm. You know, you adjust with down markets, you adjust slowly with inflation, not every year. And that just has a tendency to kind of preserve that portfolio. And kind of what the research shows actually leaves some money for the heirs at the end, which is great because you don't know when the end's going to come. And Mm -hmm. so, as much as all of us would like to spend the last dollar the day we go, you know, what do they say? Swallow the nickel and take it with you. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. And so the further we can kind of sit away from that edge of running out of money leads to a better quality of life and retirement.
2: That is the reason distribution calculations are so much more complicated than accumulation calculations. And it's just because you have an undetermined end to the distribution phase. I ask people all the time, when are you going to die? And we laugh because nobody knows and we don't know how long the money's supposed to last. And so it's infinitely more complicated than worrying about the accumulation. It's just, it's like a hundred times more complex than the accumulation phase for sure.
1: So the point being with higher rates, there's strategies that we can employ now that weren't available in the past to kind of beef up that intermediate term bucket. But like you said, the questions always stay the same. But the solutions will change. And a year from now, the solutions will change again. And we're just there. Well,
2: there's always new products. I mean, the marketplace is always coming out with new things to use that uh, help solve the new problems that we have. So...
1: Just on a note, not speaking of any particular product, but there's been covered call selling funds, which have been really, really popular of this last year, last two years of a way to generate higher income. And those are really looking like they are extreme drags on the portfolio Mm. between costs and income and reduction of purchasing power. They just don't seem to kind of live up to the benefits. And so there are promises, but you always have to be careful with what's the latest and
2: greatest that kind of- Well, they on. work until they don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: But I do think the last point that higher rates do is it does start to open up different products, particularly on the insurance side. Sure. Annuities really haven't been a great buy, fixed life insurance policies, IULs, and any type of annuity. They really just haven't been great for
2: 15 years yeah, now. Yeah, 10, 15 years now. They've been we just haven't used them really yeah but we're looking at them now so
1: but it does open up the door which is nice to be able to start to maybe transfer some of that investment risk off of yourself and onto an insurance company and for some clients that leads to higher peace of mind for others it just doesn't work but it at least is another kind of tool that's popping back up now that's worth looking at or kind of on that fixed income guaranteed income is how often they're generally other sold
2: but that's a really Complicated field, too, and there's a million products out there. So, if you're interested in that, let us know. We're happy to analyze anything that you're looking at for free. And there's a few good ones, but there's a lot of bad ones out there, too. A lot of bad ones, more bad <laughs> ones than good ones, for sure. Right. Well,
1: I think that's kind of the main points of higher rates, it does lead to a lot of benefit on the saving and on the distribution side. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but it looks like a lot of the heavy lifting has been done from a rate raising side Mm -hmm. on the longer end duration, still yet to be seen, but kind of on that shorter end, it's kind of been a whirlwind of 18, 24 months of this rate cycle.
2: Oh boy, it's been brutal, but now we're here. It's going to help us over time for sure.
0: Well, if
1: you have any questions with your particular situation, always reach out. We always enjoy talking to you.
2: Take care. Till next time. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in and listening to your investment partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also visit us at ascendinvestment.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman and Ride LLC DBA Ascend Investment Partners is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.